We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Do you ever have those times when you meet someone and you think, that is a kindred soul, they get it, they're thinking the same things that I am, and I just want to be around them more? Well, Let me tell you, that's how this interview with Scott Johns felt. And two powerful sets of interviews. The first one, we're going to talk about the first two aspects of Core 4, which is what Education Elements, the company that Scott works for, teaches about personalized learning. And the first one is focusing on targeted instruction. The second one is focusing on data-driven decisions. Great conversation and the kinds of things that I've been hoping and dreaming about doing for for a long time and they're out there doing it. So you're going to love this conversation with Scott Johns. And uh, I hope you'll share this with a lot of different people because this is a powerful conversation about how to implement personalized learning in your school so that every kid gets exactly what they need. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, I appreciate you. Here's my interview with Scott Johns. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm excited to have Scott Johns of Education Elements on the call today and uh, excited to learn more about his company and what he does there and how he can help uh, schools with uh, personalized learning specifically. So Scott, thank you so much for being on the Transformative Principal podcast. And is there anything else that you want to say about yourself before we get diving in? Yeah, thanks, Jethro. Uh, first, I, I just appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk through this Transformative Principles podcast. I think this is a really great opportunity to understand and to learn. And second, just want to say that 
I did not start off in education, but transitioned to education and spent several years in the classroom before working with the Clayton Christensen Institute, uh, looking at a lot of innovative models across the country. And, and that led me here to education elements. So just a little bit about my background. Cool. And what did you teach when you were a teacher? Yeah, I taught, I was at the high school level uh, and taught career and technical education courses. And so that spanned everything from accounting to digital citizenship to things like design, a whole gamut of, of different classes. Cool. Well, that uh, sounds like it would be fun. I fondly remember my high school uh, woodshop teacher named Mr. Wood, and uh, he was great and definitely taught me a lot about many important things. So I know there are many students that I'm sure that you impacted their life and helped them make good careers out of what they had to get from you. So thank you for doing that. Can you talk a little bit about Education Elements and and what that company does and and what your role is in that company? Yeah, absolutely. So Education Elements is a company comprised of about 45 individuals. We are former educators, administrators, uh, people who are just passionate about education. And we've been around for about five years now. Uh, we're based in San Francisco, but also have an office in Washington, D.C. And what we do is support school districts, so district leaders and uh, school leaders to design, support, and implement personalized learning. Uh, we recognize that the shift to personalized learning can be daunting and it can be scary to consider everything that's involved in that process and that shift. And so we partner with um, a lot of amazing school districts to help them make the key decisions so that they can have success a successful implementation of personalized learning. So personalized learning, talk a little bit about what you guys define that as. And in education, we have many different definitions for different things. So help me understand what your view of personalized learning is. That's a great question, Jethro. Uh, and this is something that we often talk about at our company and as we engage with different uh, school leaders across the country. When we think about a definition of personalized learning, we, there's a lot of debate going on about what it is and what it isn't. We generally try to stay out of that debate. There's even, there's even a push from some thought leaders to not define personalized learning because that puts a, a limit or a cap on, on what it can achieve or what it should look like. But all the same, uh, this is a long answer, but I'll, I promise I'll answer your question. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but all the same, we, we really think that it's, it's valuable and needed for teachers and instructional leaders to have some basic principles around what personalized learning is. Um, we've seen very often where district leaders have told classroom teachers, go do personalized learning, and, and then the district leaders go and look at what the classroom teachers are doing, and, and it hasn't matched up with the vision of what they have in their heads. And that's because it is such an ambiguous term that can be, every person can have a different definition. So we try to avoid that debate a little bit. And what we try to do instead is hunker down on some core principles that we think every personalized classroom needs to be successful. And so those four areas are targeted instruction, student reflection and ownership, data-driven decisions, and integrated digital content. I mean, I'm happy to talk through each of those if it's helpful, but let me, let me stop there for a minute. Sure. I think that, that taking that approach of uh, distilling it down into some 
some core values or beliefs is is a really good idea. And that's part of the frustration that I've had is hopefully all learning is personalized because it's about a person who's actually learning it and defining more what it is, the targeted instruction, data-driven decisions, student reflection and ownership, and integration of digital content, I think is a really powerful way to describe it that helps somebody who doesn't know much about it and who may be seeing it, seeing it coming as a mandate say, well, I can target my instruction. I can make data-driven decisions. I can have students reflect and take ownership. And then I can also bring in some digital content. I think it makes it much more manageable for someone to figure it out and and find their place in it. So I think it'd be great if you could talk about each of those. And let's start with targeted instruction, if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that this, it just gives um, people something a little more tangible to think about. And, and I'll say, um, before I dive into targeted instruction, I'll, I'll say that it's uh, if you think about each of those areas, none of them are rocket science. None of them are, right. are terms or ideas that, that veteran educators are not familiar with already. Um, but what a lot of school leaders have told us, the value that they get out of the core four is that it just provides that comprehensive view, um, that check that they can think about their classrooms and, or their schools or their districts and think about areas to improve in. So when we uh, start with targeted instruction, like you asked, when we think about targeted instruction, the idea here is uh, finding ways to break down what we commonly see, uh, which is whole group instruction, to find opportunities to have smaller interactions with students, or, or I should say interactions with smaller groups of students and even individual students if possible. In a lot of places, we see this start as uh, small group instruction, whether through a station rotation model or a flex model or whatever it might be, but finding opportunities to work with small groups instruction, uh, small groups, and providing targeted instruction to meet their needs. Uh, we really advise teachers and work with teachers to use data to inform what those groupings should be and of students. And we take a very strong stance that those groupings of students should be both dynamic and purposeful, uh, that we should change those groups based on the needs that we have in the classroom so that we can meet with those students a little bit better. Research generally says that after about seven or eight students in a group, the benefits kind of taper off in terms of meeting with small groups of students. But I think you'll agree when you're talking to a group of 30 students, you talk to them very differently. The conversations you're having with them very different is very different from when you're talking to a group of three or four students. Um, with three or four students, we can be a lot more conversational. We have a, an opportunity to listen to the students and provide much more targeted approach to their learning. Yeah. Yeah. So that, does that help? That's what we think about when we think about targeted instruction. Yeah, so I experienced this my second year teaching after I did a an internship with an elementary school uh, to be an administrator. I came back to my classroom and, and immediately started doing small group instruction at the middle school level. And my peers thought I was crazy because that's not how we do it in, in the middle school. And I got parent volunteers to come in and help me with the rest of the class. I had uh, 210 students in six classes, so wow. more than 30 kids in a class. And I knew there was no way I could reach all those kids. So I started breaking it down and doing these small group rotations. And I got to know the kids so much better. I got to know their skills and their struggles so much better. I got to spend more time with the struggling students on the things that they needed and got to spend more time with the advanced students on the on the issues 
that they needed to be challenged on as well, which was just a fantastic experience. And my the rest of the department was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You have to teach the whole class all at once. And I was like, says who? <laughs> this is what these kids need. So, so I'm going to do it. What are some of the challenges of doing targeted instruction that you see? Yeah, I think, I think that your story just illustrated a, a very real challenge we have, and that is the perceptions of small group instruction, especially at the middle school and secondary levels. Uh, in many ways, we see that elementary teachers are, are better equipped to, to use targeted in- instruction, but for middle school and secondary teachers, then it's usually a far cry from what we, they generally um, are accustomed to and what they've done in classrooms and can take quite an adjustment to get to that point. I think a lot of secondary teachers are, are much more, since they're content experts, they're much more used to whole group instruction. Um, Not to say that whole group instruction doesn't have a place in classrooms. We think it certainly does, but we generally see a tendency at the secondary level to rely uh, much more on whole group instruction than any other any other form or breaking down the classroom. So I would say that's that's a real challenge. I think the challenge that we see most often in elementary schools is helping to break apart the idea that it that targeted instruction is equal to centers. Elementary teachers are generally familiar with centers. The difference, the key difference that we see, or the few key differences we see and we try to emphasize, are that in centers, it's usually each group is receiving the same content, and the content is delivered in the same way with each group that rotates. Whereas in targeted instruction, we think it's, op- it's an opportunity to both modify the content and the method of delivery based on the group that you are targeting. And the second difference is that, unlike centers, targeted instruction should rely on data to form groups, uh, whereas in centers it's a simple math problem of just breaking down your classroom into a manageable size, not necessarily taking into account the, the various needs of those groupings. So I think for each of these core four areas, uh, these four principles, we think of them as spectrums and not just check marks. And so maybe that's the last challenge I'll point to with targeted instruction is that sometimes we see educators that have the presence of small groups in their classes and, and they think, check, I've done it. I have targeted instruction. Whereas we think of each of these of areas of being a pretty deep spectrum and, and just like learning to shoot a basketball hoop uh, at a hoop, then you can certainly throw a basketball at a hoop and it, you shot it. But to develop a, a shot like Michael Jordan, it's going to take some time. And to, in a similar vein, to become really adept to, at targeted instruction, it's going to take some skills to develop. It's not necessarily, it's not, definitely not just a binary check of having the presence of small groups in place. Yeah. And what I love about that, Scott, is that we don't all have to be Michael Jordan the very first time we do it. And we all need to go through that process to become better at it. And I know for me, the first time I did it, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and I was trying to do the best that I could. And I, you know, tried to group kids according to their needs and didn't do so well the first time and quickly figured out what I needed to do better. But I wouldn't have known had I not tried it first. And, you know, that's an important aspect is jumping in and, and taking it. And I learned shortly thereafter how to use data to help me make those groups that I was teaching them the right things. And uh, do you want to talk about that one next? 
Yeah, the use of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I think this, like the other areas, I'll say, is not rocket science in and of itself. I think I think teachers are generally accustomed to data, but there's a few nuances or some things that we think about in terms of the use of data. And so just to point a few things out, we absolutely believe that data should inform instruction in the classroom. I think that a lot of times teachers can feel pressure to maintain a schedule or maintain their scope and sequence and not deviate from that, even if the data, the output of data uh, that their students are providing are, is indicative of, of issues or problems that, or misunderstandings or whatever it might be. Uh, we, we take a strong stance that data needs to drive the direction and the instruction in the classroom. We also think it's really important for teachers and students to be able to reflect on data. I think that too often when we work with educators, we see that the teachers are, are elbows deep in the data, but, but students really, rarely have an opportunity to do that. And so we see a variety of of means or ways of doing this. Um, a lot of times we see the districts where we work with that students start developing some type of tracker, whether it's a class-wide tracker or an individual tracker where they can where they can just reflect on their own data and think about their own mastery level and gives an op- leads to an opportunity to set goals. I think when I was a teacher, I always knew that I had I was failing with a student in my efforts when a student would ask, well, why, Mr. Johns, why did you give me this grade? And when they asked, why did you give me this grade, then I knew that they weren't making the connection that their performance led to this grade. And really, that was on me that I was not connecting that back to them. Um, so I needed to make sure that that happened. Uh, the last area I would say in terms of data that we, and research totally backs this, uh, especially a lot of um, Hattie's visible learning work that's coming out, is the idea of tight feedback loops. That in order to succeed and in order to boost learning, um, students need feedback relatively quickly from the the event um, that provided the data and that that feedback if it's closer to that that delivery point or that test or assessment whatever it might be can provide a lot better gains for the students in terms of achievement yeah so where does standards-based grading or instruction fit into this yeah that's a great question i think we work with a variety of districts that are some districts are very traditional in their approach. Uh, some districts take an approach to standards-based grading. Um, some districts are on the spectrum of competency and are working that way. We think that that lends a really helpful opportunity to be able to break down specific areas that need, need attention and would hopefully provide teachers, given if they have the right assessments and the, the right opportunities to plan, whether that's through PLCs or whatever it might be, um, to really look at that data and understand their standards and help students see where they're at, see what they need to complete. And so I, we see a variety of, of districts that are using a variety of, of grading metrics and standards. We wish that all districts would become a little bit more innovative and join the districts that are, that are pushing the boundaries in that area. But we, we take what we can get sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And I think that that's a, a valid point that a standards-based grading could certainly help, but that you can still be successful with personalized learning even if you don't have that part of it set up. And that is a very big mind shift for teachers to to have in their instruction because not everybody thinks like that. Uh, on this podcast, I've interviewed Michael Shapiro, the principal of the uh, Highland Academy in Anchorage School District. Uh-huh. And I actually had an opportunity to go visit that school 
uh, earlier this year and got a tour from the students and they understood where they were as far as what standards they needed to pass off and understand still. And to hear high school students talking about that was incredibly exciting because they knew exactly what they needed to learn. And they did not say, why did you give me this grade? They said, what can I do to earn this grade and demonstrate that I understand what it is that I'm learning? And I just thought that was so cool to hear kids really understand it and and own it in a way that was powerful and real and not just they were saying that because a visitor was there. They were actually talking about it like they do every day. Oh, I love to hear that. And and I think the the neatest thing is to think about the impact that that has on, on students um, in the long run as they're able to really understand um, what success looks like and, and they're setting goals and working to achieve that success. I think there's a lot of skills that are under the hood there that uh, Mr. Shapiro has put in place for his students. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing to be sure. I mean, don't you just get excited after listening to that? I... Love it. This personalized learning stuff is right up my alley. And that was a great conversation. Next week, we're going to talk more about student reflection and ownership and integrating digital content, and then talk about some of the challenges that we face with this and talk about one of my sneaky little ideas that I've had ever since I started teaching. Why don't we do this for every kid? So stay tuned for next week on Transformative Principal Podcast. In the meantime, do me a favor. Would you go to the uh, transformativeprinciple.org and share this with somebody else and then leave a rating and review in iTunes. That would mean the world to me and it certainly helps other people find out about it. So thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.